Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello, and welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And I am extremely excited for this conversation for a number of reasons today. One, We'll be interviewing Carolyn Armitage, who's the head of Thrivent Advisor Networks and one of my favorite people in the space. And two, we'll also be talking about some of the key findings from the brand new RI Edge study, which Carolyn and the Thrivent Advisor Network team has been a strategic partner to us all on over the first quarter of this year. So very much looking forward to getting into our conversation with Carolyn and also giving a bit of a sneak peek of our very first research property here on RI Edge. Carolyn, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. I'm honored to be here and appreciate our partnership and love sharing the wisdom that I've learned throughout the years to help others thrive. Appreciate that. And there is a ton that we can get into here today around the RA Edge study. Before we do, I'll just give a little bit of background on the context and the goal for the RA Edge study. As listeners of the RA Edge podcast know, We've been focused on understanding the true drivers of growth in the RIA space. While there's been obviously an incredible amount of growth in the RIA channel, we've really been focused on interviewing individuals on this podcast and studying firms that have grown strategically, those that have grown by design and not by default. And we're thrilled that there are a number of different areas in the study that we'll be able to talk about over the course of 2022. And at the top of the list, M&A is something that will be one of the most important elements of the RIA Edge study, um, and also really the core and focal you know, point of our interview here with Carolyn. Before we get into some of the specific details and the M&A story, and there's a ton to talk about there as well, you know, Carolyn, if you don't mind, you're still in a, I'll say, relatively new role. I don't know at what point you know, the new, you know, the grace period wears off, uh, but we started our roles around the same time, so I'm looking forward to your answer and guidance. Um, and then too, while a lot of our listeners are very familiar with Thrivent, I think it would be good for them to also understand who is Thrivent Advisor Network. And I know you've built a great team and are building a great business over there, but I think it would really be great to get your inside view on how you function, what your focus is, and what the model is at Thrivent Advisor Network. So please, Karen, a little bit of an introduction and background. Yeah, thank you, Mark. So Thrivent Advisor Network is a two-year-old RIA. Uh, we have six and a half billion dollars with 26 offices throughout the country. And this is a evolving strategy for Thrivent. Thrivent is our parent company, a 120 year old firm. And so this is a, a new path for them, this path of independence. And at Thrivent Advisor Network or TAN, as we affectionately call it, we believe that humanity thrives when people make the most of all that they've been given. We help people achieve financial clarity and enabling lives full of meaning and gratitude. And so our financial advisors really have a bond that goes far beyond the financial gains 
and they call it success with significance. At TAN, we're seeking to grow with those financial advisors who want to affiliate with a community and or to have TAN be their succession plan. So we've got two different models. We can have an advisor move over to us and our office move over to us in a recruiting fashion. We provide very attractive transition packages and easily secured growth capital at a low 2% interest rate without any hidden agenda, as well as we are now in the process of acquiring firms. So our parent company has over $12 billion in surplus capital available, and we have been anointed with a nice basket to be able to go out and start acquiring firms here over the next at least three years, if not longer. Fortunately, we're able to build out Thrive and Advisor Network for the next 100 years. We're not looking at this at a four to seven year turn or similarly to how financial acquirers are looking to grow their organization. We're really looking for independence with impact. And we really believe that advisors can thrive with purpose when they have access to tools and resources that let advisors focus on what they love to do, a connection to a community with a shared calling to make a positive impact on the world, and freedom to control the client experience, operating model legacy. So we really have the advisor collaboration among our advisors. We have the commitment from our parent and the courage to evolve the industry away from simply the financial elements. And no shortage of opportunities, as we learned from the RIH study, so many different firms thinking about ways that they can strategically accelerate their growth. And while we focus on the drivers of organic growth, we focus on talent acquisition and the role that human capital can play in driving growth. One of the areas that we spend a lot of time on is obviously mergers and acquisitions. And you mentioned that, Carolina. I'm curious, before we get into some of the, the findings here from the RA Edge study, you and I worked together at Echelon. We you know, worked very closely on a number of different projects, obviously produced research every quarter that looked at M&A activity in the RIA space. And every quarter, it felt like the same headline, right? <laughs> record, record levels. Of, but I would love to maybe just get your global view on things. But how, what have been the primary drivers of M&A activity in recent years? And how has the composition of buyers and sellers evolved in your view? Yeah, it's a great question. And I certainly enjoyed working with you at Echelon Partners and uh, love the new paths that each of us are taking. What I've really seen is that in order to have a continued and robust marketplace, there's a foundation of three different components that need to happen. And that is the need, the timing, and the capital. And with those three elements, we will have a very robust marketplace. So let's talk about each one of these briefly. For the need, we have the need for firms to invest into this business through M&A. Because of the need for scale and sustainability, the increase, to, the increase in cost of doing business in our industry is increasing. Firms need efficient processes, and that often comes through technology, and not just implementing the technology, but making sure it integrates 
with all the different systems so that you have a one single sign-on experience that's easy for advisors, easy for clients to use, to ensure that all these systems are secure and safeguarded. Think of uh, the cyber attacks that have happened recently. That takes a great deal of resources, both time and money, to ensure your entire system is cyber secure. It takes a lot of effort to keep up with the regulatory changes and implement all the compliance controls that are required. And so larger organizations do have more efficient buying power. Um, additionally, there's a strong need to attract and retain the best talent. And so when you can offer a real vision for the firm beyond the financial rewards, we are blessed to be in an industry that provides so many intrinsic rewards. I think that is far more important than just the material elements of this industry. And then certainly marketing, branding, and an online presence is really table stakes now. And that takes quite an investment as well. So we definitely see the need for that scale and sustainability. The second one is timing, which I kind of refer to as being in season, quote unquote. And this is where we're at this interesting intersection of demographics. You could say we're really at a tipping point where M&A will continue to play that accelerated role in solving the wealth management's widespread succession need, where founders of this independent wealth management space are approaching retirement and seeking liquidity events. At the same time, financial advisors are aging, so are their clients. And so over the next decade, there'll be a tremendous amount of transition for financial advisors and their clients as the wealth changes hands. Cerulean Associates, I believe, has estimated that there'll be a, roughly a third of the financial advisors that will be exiting the business through either retirement and or death and disability. Clients at the same time need financial planning much more than they ever had before because it's only getting more complicated. And then there's market cycle timing. While it can take some time to consummate a deal, it, it can be difficult to time the market, but we've definitely seen an increase in expansion over the last, gosh, really a little over a decade with a little bit of vol uh, volatility this beginning of this year, as well as the beginning of last year. We're really at a very historic time. And that's where it brings me to my third element of capital, where we're at these historic highs and lows of there's never been more firms interested in investing into this industry. I think there's over 275 private equity firms that have invested into the wealth management space, as well as there's a great deal of liquidity from banks recognizing the value of the sector of financial services and then allowing loans based on the revenue that's to come as opposed to hard assets. And so having this liquidity, having the right timing and having the need, I think is a really winning combination for the next decade. Yeah, it doesn't seem like M&A activity will be slowing down anytime soon. In the RA Edge study, we actually asked for the outlook for M&A activity in the largest firms, the ones that have 250 million in assets and up, well over three quarters of them felt that 2022 was going to be another record year for M&A activity for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned. 
I should also just level set, you know, on the RIA edge study, we looked at you know, hundreds of firms and we also looked at their historical growth rates and their growth expectations for the next several years. Uh, over the last five years, typical firm, the study grew at about 60% over the five-year period in terms of their assets under management. And some of the largest and most successful firms were hovering around the 100% you know, growth in assets over that same time period. One of the sort of more incredible stats that jumped out to me is when we asked for their growth expectations in 2022, 94% said that they expected at least 10% growth, excluding the markets. So that would come through M&A and other organic growth opportunities. And that really speaks to, Carolyn, the the so the maturation of the industry. Um, and I've had a lot of guests on this podcast and I've asked, where are we right in the life cycle of the RIA channel? And everybody still believes that we're in the early days. And you, I want to touch on some of the options right, around M&A that you just brought up. You mentioned private equity and the capital that's coming into the space. That has accelerated and should continue to accelerate M&A activity moving forward. But if you don't mind, can you walk us through what you think are some of the most important or significant developments in M&A options and also just how they've aligned with the various M&A journeys that a lot of advisors have been on for quite some time? Yeah, so there's, um, I, I would say that it kind of depends on where their advisors at. There are a variety of business models that advisors have in the industry. And many of them have differing interests for the future. I would say that the majority of advisors, based on my experience of over 30 years in the independent wealth management space, the majority of the financial advisors are seeking or would prefer to do an internal transfer. Mm -hmm. However, most are not prepared to do so. When an advisor wants to create an internal succession plan, they need to start ideally a decade before or at least five years before they're ready to retire. It takes a great deal of effort, not just financial resources, but also the advisor's time. And that takes a, a great deal of effort, more than what financial advisors often are willing to commit. And so time period, that is a, that, that's a long-term, it's not even a project, right? right? Uh, it's a part-time job preparing for that internal transaction. Right. And that's where I believe the majority of advisors haven't done the work required because it is very intensive, as well as it's pretty well known in the marketplace that most of the time an external sale does yield better financial results and it can be a little cleaner. It's not so emotionally messy. And so it's just an overall easier transaction from a negotiation standpoint. Yeah, it's uh, definitely complicated on a lot of levels. Um, and we, we've actually had that topic and the question come up quite a bit in the last few episodes of our edge where we talk about how that might be the initial preference to sell to the team. But uh, aside from the financials, is the team there? Are they ready right, to take over the business without you, the founder, in the picture? Um, and a lot of people have never really asked themselves or their employees that question. So there's a lot that goes into it. And it's definitely is something that is top of mind for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure. I do also want to briefly touch on just some of the capital options that are out there as well, because we are seeing a lot more sell and stay. Um, and M&A is not just solving for the succession or the exit issues, but it's actually helping to drive growth. 
Can you talk a little bit about what you've been seeing there? You know how you know, some of the firms that are receiving or looking to to take a, a capital investment might be looking to strategically invest and use it to accelerate their growth rates. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I found really fascinating is the number of advisors who are willing to sell a minority interest in their firm in order to grow, as opposed to taking out a loan to be able to grow. Certainly giving up some of that equity, if you're with a good partner that can help you grow, that can make good sense. Sometimes it's taking some of that money off the table. However, usually those minority investments are with the intent of growing the organization, not taking money off the table because then they're not gonna have a return on it. So um, I do help try to help educate advisors on the benefit of borrowing money at a good interest rate, you know, interest rates we haven't uh, seen, you know, in prior decades and are expected to, you know, be somewhat conservative here over the next five years while they may inch upwards here. Personally at TAN, we are taking a bet in favor of our advisors in that while we can borrow money from our parent at a 6% interest rate, we're actually loaning it out to our advisors at 2% and taking a 4% haircut or loss on that loan because we believe that much in our advisors. We know that they are going to grow over the next decade. And because we don't need a short-term financial return on the money, we can grow this for the long-term. We're okay if it takes 10 years or more for this to break even and be profitable for us because we believe that much in the future of not only our advisors, but the profession as well. That is amazing. I did not know that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, But one that is, you know, based on some of the growth rates that we've seen across the industry in our own research, um, seems like it's a pretty good bet. I mean, I do actually want to talk a little bit more about 10 Thriving Advisor Network and the role that you play as a buyer in the marketplace. Um, there are obviously a lot of buyers, you know, more and more quote, professional buyers now than there have ever been before. And when I look at the established RIAs that are in our study, or those with more than 250 million in assets, roughly half of them say that they plan to or will consider making an acquisition this year. Um, so there seems to be obviously a lot of ongoing interest in being an acquirer. Help our listeners, please get a a better sense for Thrive Advisor Network and what some of the unique problems are that you and your team can solve for potential sellers. Yeah, thank you. I I really feel that TAN, and this is part of the reason I came to the organization, is that TAN has a distinct advantage in the industry as these hundreds of private equity firms have kind of swarmed on the financial opportunities of our profession. What sometimes gets lost is why advisors got into the business. And so this is where I think TAN can be that differentiator to really build something special that quite frankly, isn't for everybody. When you consider the financial advisor's life cycle and where they are in this, so many financial advisors want to enjoy the journey 
as opposed to controlling every element. And this is where TAN can step in and be that successor for financial advisors in the industry. We are one of the few firms, not TAN specifically, but our parent company, Thrivent, we are one of the few firms in the industry that is still investing into new entrants into the space. And we have a four-year training program, whether folks are in college and they're right out of college looking for that first career as a financial advisor, or they've retired from the military or from teaching or looking for a second career, we will train them on how to be a financial advisor. And on the Thrivent side, there's a variety of different career paths they can take. And now a new option for them is that they can step over and become a successor advisor for one of the firms that we buy. We've increasingly seen a number of advisors want a sell and stay option because they just don't know how to disconnect their identity from their firm. And so they're not quite comfortable or ready as to what their 2.0 is going to look like. So they really want to try on retirement. They want to ensure that their clients are well taken care of. And we are well positioned to help advisors leave a lasting legacy where they will be very comforted by the hands that they leave their clients and their employees in. And I just, I love, I love add more meaning to our industry than simply financial gains. Yeah. And that actually brings me to my next question. We've had a lot of buyers on the RA Edge podcast, and it's amazing to me how different the profile of a, an ideal you know, acquisition target is from one firm to the next. So I'd like to ask you that, get your sense for, for 10, what is the profile of a perfect fit? And, and I would ask it you know, in two ways, you know, the quantitative, right? Size, you know, financials, but then qualitative, right? Cultural fit and value. Yeah, it's a great question. So qualitative, some of these elements may sound similar to others in that fiduciary forward, someone that does holistic planning for their clients, definitely those that put their clients first. Uh, We're looking for good people who love to give back. One of Thrivent's really motto is to live generously. Actually, all the employees, team members get t-shirts every year that say live generously on them with a great big heart. And it's been really fabulous to be with an organization that really does put their heart and their hustle into all that we do. I mean, so much so we put the heart in our logo. So that corporate culture fit is very important and it's something you can't quantify. It needs to be felt and experienced. And so we do spend a lot of time ensuring there's the right cultural fit for their well-being as well as our own. And then from a quantitative perspective, Really, the optimal target size that we're looking for, for new offices, whether it's the affiliated model or the partner model, would be those that have either $2 million in revenues or a couple hundred million in assets under management, all the way up to $2 billion in assets under management or $20 million in revenues. Now, for smaller advisors that maybe have a book of business, we can have those be a tuck-in to our other current offices and we'd be happy to make those introductions as well. But to stand up a new office or for us to buy them directly, we are looking for those larger offices. As far as the profit margins of the organizations, 
Ideally, we're looking for that standard profit margin return of about 25 to 35%. Certainly, some advisors have a higher profit margin. They may not get as high a return in the marketplace for those over 35% as oftentimes we see those organizations being more of a cash cow where the owners haven't invested enough in the growth of the organization. But the financials we're flexible with, and that's where I think as long as the culture fit is there, and we have good team members, good people. We love to accept all of those individuals onto our team as well and make it a comfortable place for the advisor as they sunset their career doing what they love to do and when the time is right for them. And I can say having known you for some time and also you know, still staying in touch, following you on social, the way you share you know, Thriven's vision, uh, mission, and the things that are obviously a value to you and the company, it probably helps, right? Filter and hopefully you know, help you find. It helps you find the right fits before you get you know, too far down the line in management meetings, right? In the actual M and A process. Um, so kudos to you for being very clear around who you are and who you want to be working with. And just you know, picking up on that a bit too, there is one thing I know you know you're relatively new. At Thrivent, right? Um, but you know, I, I am interested to get your take, maybe through your investment banker lens. We we talk a lot about the headline M and A, and you've talked about culture and how important it is to find the right fits. But after the close, we really don't go as deep to really understand what a successful merger, a successful acquisition, or successful integration looks like. Um, so, just for our audience, could you please provide a little bit of context on what you think some of the keys to a successful integration might be? And also if you're running an advisory firm, how do you measure the success of a deal? Yeah, it's a fabulous question. And I do wish our industry focused more on this, given the nature of the private ownership for the majority of wealth management firms, firms just aren't willing to share out this data, right? So mm-hmm. I think success, is in the eye of the beholder, depending on if it's a financial advisor or the firm that purchased them, uh, whether they're looking for a financial turn in four to seven years or a certain level of profits uh, and or cost savings. For us, when we define what success would look like, we have different intervals of one, two, three, five, and 10 years and even longer, because again, we're looking to build this out for the next 100 years. We take a look at a lens in three different perspectives. Is it successful in the first off eyes of the client? Secondly, the eyes of the advisor. And thirdly, the eyes of the employees. And particularly in that order, we'll see their success come through through the retention and referrals that we receive for both clients and advisors and employees. In my short tenure at Thrive Advisor Network, we've been able to attract really top talent based on the vision and the distinction that we have over the financial acquirers. I've been just delighted at the talent we've been able to attract in this very short time period. And as I mentioned, we are working on our very first acquisition that we look to close here shortly. So we'll have to have you back. It's poor timing for the interview (laughs) if we want to break news on the RIA Edge podcast, but we will have to have you back 
in short order, it's a good excuse to make sure that we have you on as a regular. Um, I'd be <laughs> I do think you mentioned just talent in general, and you have made some very nice additions to the team um, since you since you've joined. Your talent is a big piece. The RA Edge Studies focus. It's also you know, becoming, at least in my view and experience, much bigger consideration when firms are looking at M and um, I've heard the phrase over and over again over the last three to six months. It's easier to acquire talent than it is to hire talent, given how competitive it is um, in the industry right now. And we actually saw in the RA Edge study that roughly two thirds of all RIAs are hiring for a brand new position, a position they've never had before in 2022. Um, so obviously there is a ton of competition. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. You know, for one, what does it look like out there, right? As you're actively recruiting, is there enough talent to meet the demand and the need? And two, what role does M&A play in helping to actually acquire some of that talent? Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. For us, we first and foremost are considering the advisors and their clients and then the employees, um, ensuring that there's a good fit. And so we're not as actively looking for the talent. It's helpful when it's there. For example, the office that we're in uh, deep stages of um, bringing on board has financial advisors. Uh, actually second and third chair financial advisors, yet neither are willing or desiring to step up and buy the firm. They are very comfortable in their servicing role. And quite frankly, one of them is just simply too young to make such a commitment. They're just not willing to sign that personal guarantee. As well as the operational and client service folks that come along with an acquisition are terrific to add to the team. So we love to have that and, you know, welcome the lead financial advisor or the current owner for as long as they're willing to stick around and and provide some contribution. Um, What I've found most successful or, or a really interesting trend is the folks we've been attracting to our organization are presently employed. They're working in sometimes unfulfilling roles or not as inspirational perhaps as a new exciting build with a distinctive value prop that provides more meaning right at the end of the day work is work you have to process certain things and have meetings and those type of elements it's who you work with that dramatically changes the attitude that you have the um the joy that you get out of the day-to-day interaction, right? There's challenges in every role and every company out there. But if you really trust and respect and genuinely enjoy the people you work with, oh my gosh, everything is so much easier to solve. And so we really put that at the heart of everyone that we hire and everyone that we acquire. It's a, an amazing time for you to, it almost sounds like a startup, <laughs> but in a lot of ways, you're not at all, right? You're very established. Yeah. You have the backing of a major parent company, and you also have a very long horizon that you're looking across here. So Carolyn, thank you so much for not only sharing your views on the RA industry, M&A, and giving us you know, the inside look at what you're building at 10 there, but just thank you for offering a little bit more of an overview uh, uh, from a leadership perspective, right? On ways that 
RIAs and individuals throughout the RIA community can really be building not just fast growing organizations, but you know, truly great organizations. Or you know, I remember Mark Tiberian used the term employer of choice. Um, I've always liked that. So thank you, Carolyn, for joining us here today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for those of you listening. As I mentioned earlier, the RIA Edge study, which we have produced in a strategic partnership with Carolyn and the TAN team, will be released very, very shortly. Uh, we're looking to send it out over the next couple of days. So we'll make sure that all of our listeners to the RIA Edge podcast are aware of how to access it and how to download it. We'll also be hosting a live webinar in April with Carolyn to walk through the results in much more detail and get into some of the key findings of the RIA Edge study, specifically looking at M&A organic growth, and human capital as ways to drive strategic growth for your organization. So thank you very much for joining us here today on this episode of the RIA Edge podcast. Mark Bruno, the Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect, and we look forward to having you back on the very next episode of the RIA Edge podcast. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.